Amen. Praise the Lord. And tell you what, it is good to be home. And it is, I have missed you guys, and I'm so glad to be able to be back and preach here at Mount Pleasant. But I do bring you greetings from Jean-Marc and the wonderful people there at Eglise de, Beaumont, at, uh, Mont Bellevue, uh, the church there at Mont Bellevue. And uh, they were very gracious to our team and uh, very hospitable and very loving. And so we praise God for what he continues to do there and will continue to do. And for our partnership with them, we pray that God will continue to work uh, through us to be able to encourage and help in any way that we possibly can. I also want to say a big thank you uh, to Pastor Luke a couple weeks ago who gave us a great message uh, while I was away. I went online and uh, took a look at it and watched it and was so thankful uh, for his message. And then last week, Pastor Andy as well, a great message from him. And so I am so thankful for the staff that we have here at Mount Pleasant. Amen? So, so grateful. Well, today we begin a new series on the book of Philippians. And I had planned on preaching the series for about six or seven weeks or so. But as I was studying over the past couple weeks, uh, preparing for today, I realized that 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 was just crazy, uh, that it needed to go longer than that. So I have no idea when it'll end, but we're just going to pace ourselves and move through because the book of Philippians is a very rich book. And uh, I look forward to to going through and preaching it for you as God gives us wisdom and discernment in these things. So the the title of the series is Binding Focus, a focus for His glory that binds us together. Now, you know, as believers, a lot of times we think that we still have the right focus. A lot of times we're not focused as, as focused as we think we are. Maybe you're like me and, and, and other folks who have had their glasses. Before they got glasses, they realized they couldn't see as well. But then once they got glasses and put them on, they walked outside and realized, man, there are leaves on the trees. You know, so we thought we're okay, we thought we're focused, but in reality, there's a lot that we weren't seeing. And that happens with us as believers sometimes, that we think we have the focus, but we just need to readjust and have the focus again and be focused in. And so, but as believers, we all are to have the same focus. And here is our focus that we're going to see here, and that is that Jesus is to be glorified. Amen? Jesus is to be glorified. And we'll see that through the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter here to the church of Philippi. Now what I want to do this first Sunday of Philippians, I want to give you sort of the background of where Philippians came from and where we, why we have this letter, if you will. And so if you, if you were to go back, and I'm not going to ask you to go there right now, but if you went back into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, the Bible there tells us as Paul is on his second missionary journey, and as he's on that journey, if you'll remember the story that he was forbidden by the Spirit to go to Asia. He had planned to go to Asia to present the gospel there. But in the night, while he was sleeping one night, he had a vision of a Macedonian man who was pleading for Paul and those who were with him to come over and to help them. And so Paul feels like, of course, that he is being led by the Spirit to Macedonia. And so once in Macedonia, the Bible tells us that they arrived in the foremost city of Macedonia, the city of Philippi. And so as they go into Philippi, they present the gospel, they share the gospel with people, and then on a Sabbath, as was their habit, they went to pray, and they went down to a river to pray. And this time, as they were there, the Paul and maybe Silas and Dr. Luke, as well as Timothy, went out to this river as they're praying, and as the Holy Spirit would, would guide someone on their path, there met a woman there by the name of Lydia. And Lydia, by the way, I like that name, Lydia... 
uh, had, as they presented the gospel to Lydia, Lydia received Jesus Christ. We also look in that chapter, as we move along, that uh, they cast out a demon from a slave girl. And she was presumably, after they cast out the demon, presumably she was born again. But her being, the demon being cast out of her caused a problem with those who were her masters, her slave masters. And so they, had, they caused a ruckus and they caused Paul and Silas to be thrown into the prison there in Philippi. Well, while they were there in the prison in Philippi, instead of groaning and moaning and complaining about their situation, what we find Paul and Silas doing there in chapter 16 of Acts is that they are praying and singing. And the prisoners were listening as well as the jailer. And the jailer ultimately accepts Christ as well and his family. And so we have Lydia there by the river. We have the slave girl and we have the jailer and his family who accept Christ. And a church is born in Philippi. And now we come several years later. A good bit of time has passed. And the church throughout the years, as Paul has continued on his journey... The church has continued to support Paul with their prayers and their financial support. And Paul is now finding himself in prison in Rome because of his faith. And the church at Philippi knows that he's there in prison. And they send Epaphroditus to him with, from their church with a financial gift. So Paul, as he is sending Epaphroditus back, he sends a letter back to the church at Philippi on his behalf thanking them, sort of a thank you letter from Paul, but he also uses the opportunity in this letter that we have here known as Philippians to encourage them in their faith, to thank them for what they have done, but also to address an issue or two. But even as we see this situation, understand as we come to this letter in the book of Philippians that Paul is in a Roman prison, chained to a prison guard, and yet we find this one message that crops up not only here in this chapter, but over and over again throughout the chapter. It's the message of joy. Now we're going to look at that. How, how in the world does Paul have joy? Well, real joy is gospel-centered. Y'all with me this morning? Real joy is gospel-centered. And we'll look at what that means here in just a minute. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read for us this morning this passage of Scripture. I am so excited to be here. I really am. So here we find Paul writing the letter. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father... We thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we pray that you would use this letter that your Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write many, many years ago. But yet it still applies to each of us today. That you would take the word and speak to our hearts. 
Maybe there are those of us here today, Lord, who need to hear a fresh word from you about how to have gospel joy, even in the midst of difficulties. Maybe, Father, there are those of us here who've never trusted Jesus and have experienced what real joy really is. Lord, may you draw them to yourself by your spirit today. Lord, whatever it is that you're doing, you have brought us here for a purpose and a plan. Nothing's by accident. We pray that you'd use me and use this simple time, Lord, to, to glorify your name, to exalt Jesus Christ, your gospel to be proclaimed, your people would be edified, and Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, we pray for your will to be done in all of our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you see the outline there in your bulletin this morning. We're going to hit these four points here. And we're going to see, first off, as we think about this idea of having a gospel joy, this binding focus for those of us who are believers, for His glory, the focus we're to have, we find this gospel joy here in these eight verses here today. And the first thing we need to find here is that there is joy through a relationship with Jesus. So that's your first point. The relationship, and that's the relationship. Not just any relationship, but the relationship that comes with the, that comes with our Creator, Jesus Christ. We have a relationship now with Him, and as we have a relationship with Him, we have joy, a gospel-centered joy that's based upon the good news that Jesus saves. We have this relationship, and it causes joy. So we see here in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at it, understand, as we said before in the past, that uh, in that day, when they would write a letter, they would sign the letter at the beginning instead of at the end. And that's what Paul has done here, signing the letter, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. But even in that, even just those few words here, we can sense in Paul a sense of his joy. A joy that he has, of course, it's, it follows through in the rest of this passage of Scripture and even further into the letter. But we see it even here in the very first opening words of the letter. That he says that they're bondservants of Jesus. You see joy that is centered on Jesus Christ. Paul has this joy that is centered on Jesus. It can come from no other place but from Jesus. Jesus died, he rose again, and he has called Paul to himself. Remember, Paul was the the murderous Saul who hated Christians, and yet Jesus arrested him on the Damascus road, and he changed his life forever. And now that murderous Saul is the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, and he has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he has this relationship with Jesus that brings about great joy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. Amen. That's what we're talking about. So the focus here is still the same. Amen. Focus is still the same. He says he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, what's a bondservant? We don't use that word typically today. But a bondservant is a person who is owned by someone else who is obedient and dependent upon that person. And how it relates here is Paul says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It reflects the attitude going back to the Old Testament slave who refused the opportunity to go anywhere else when he had the opportunity to do so. 
He chose rather to be a bondservant to his master, voluntarily resubmitted himself to his master for the rest of his life because he trusted his master, he loved his master, his master had taken good care of him. And so Paul is saying, look, that's who I am with Jesus. He loves me, he's my master, he's taking care of me, I trust him, I am willing, I am determined, I am devoted to completely serve him with all of my heart. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He has a relationship to Jesus. So why did Paul consider himself to be this bond servant? He recognized that he was not his own. He recognized that he did not belong to himself. No longer was he the same. He was no longer that same Saul. Now he was owned by not himself. He was owned by his creator. He was owned by God because of who Jesus is and what he had done. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, he wrote these words to the church at Corinth. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And watch this. And you are not your own. Verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not only do we see that here in 1 Corinthians 6, where he talks about how we're not our own, but then we see him spelling that out a little bit more in Galatians chapter 2. Then we wrote the letter to Galatia. In chapter 2 and verse 20, he says this to the, the church there at Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, watch this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says he has this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He belongs to Jesus because of what Jesus has done for him. What Jesus has done. He loved me. He gave himself for me. I know him. He knows me. He's my master. I'm his slave. I'm his bondservant. And because of that, I have joy. Beloved friends, listen. Do you have the joy that is gospel-centered? Because you need to understand that it is a joy that finds its source in nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. It's not a joy. Now listen, it's not a joy that is centered on your performance. It's not a joy that's centered on your popularity. It's not a joy that's centered on your plaudits. It's not a joy that is centered on your traditions or on your teachings or your temporary treats. But rather, it is a joy that is centered on Jesus Christ alone. Now what we tend to think is, we tend to think that yeah, I really would like to have this joy. And I could have this joy if only I could have this or if I could have that. Or I could have joy if I could just go here or if I could just go there. I could really have this joy if I could be him or if I could be her. I, I could have this joy if I could do this or if I could do that. Then I could have joy. But beloved, listen. That joy is not gospel-centered. And it will not last. Joy Real joy comes through the relationship that's with Jesus Christ. Now, you just think about this. Paul here is writing this letter that is exuding itself with joy, and he is in prison. He is in prison writing this letter. Now, remember also back in Acts chapter 16 also. You remember that letter? 
uh, that, that, that words that we just mentioned just a few minutes ago about where he was after the slave girl was delivered from the bondage of the, of the demons. The masters of the slave girl cast him and Silas into jail. And what are they doing? They're not in there belly aching about where they are and what they have to deal with. No, they are praying and they are singing while in prison. That shows me they have joy. Amen? It's a joy that rises above the circumstances. It's a joy that's related to Jesus Christ. So here, Paul here is in prison in Rome. He's bound to a prison guard, and, they, and he still has joy. How in the world does that happen? Well, his name is Jesus. That's how it happens. How can, so it's the same answer as to how you can be going through the trials, how you can be going through the difficulties and the unexpected turns and still have joy in your life. And the answer to that question is, is the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Amen? It is the relationship with him. It's not church. It's not your service. It's not the place where you sit. It's not your Sunday school class or your community group. Because it's not religion, it's a relationship. That's what brings the joy. It's the relationship that you have with your creator. That you walk with him and you talk with him. That he has made you right with holy God and you have this relationship. As I was reading some of the commentaries, I came across this quote. I wanted to share it with you this morning. It's a powerful quote. Now listen to this. The writer said, If you have everything but Jesus... Now listen, if you have everything but Jesus, you will be longing for more. But listen, if you have nothing but Jesus, you have everything you need for joy. Amen? Everything you need. If you have nothing else but Jesus, you have everything you need for joy. But pastor... I understand that, but, but, but if Jesus is all I got, I got bills I got to pay. Hey, I understand that, amen? When we pay our bills, that makes us happy. But guess what? You're going to have some more bills, amen? You're going to continue to have bills. Happiness is temporary, but joy comes from Jesus, amen? It's the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So you ask, can we really find this joy in Jesus Christ? Can we really have this joy that's found in Jesus? Well, there's a man by the name of Cyprian back in the third century who wrote this letter to his friend by the name of Donatus. Let me just read just a little bit of what he said to his friend. Cyprian wrote this to his friend Donatus. He said, this seems a cheerful world, Donatus. When I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines... But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas and the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding clouds, under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet, in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am one of them. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a good word, isn't it? 
So the question is, do you have what Cyprian had? Do you have what many others have had? Do you have this joy that comes through the relationship with Jesus Christ? It is a gospel joy based upon the good news of Jesus that you've received Jesus by faith. And we have this relationship with him. It causes joy. Secondly, we can have a gospel-centered joy, not only through the relationship and mainly through the relationship that comes, but then in the offshoot of having the relationship with Jesus, we see also that there is the fellowship. So it's the fellowship. And the fellowship that I'm talking about here is the fellowship that we enjoy with each other because of Jesus. It's still Jesus-centered. The fellowship is because of Jesus that we have with each other. And we see that as Paul continues to write in the rest of verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So he's talking about all the saints. Who are the saints in Christ Jesus? Everybody who has trusted Jesus Christ by faith. Those who have been born again and washed in the blood of Jesus, who've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, are saints in Christ Jesus. Amen? You get that? We are saints according to the word of God. To all the saints, those who are believers. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Paul says, look, he's our Father. He, won't you have grace? Won't you have peace from God, our Father? So in other words, he's saying, look, we are believers together. All the saints, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believers together, verse 3 and 4. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. So as Paul is writing this letter, he's beginning this letter, he's, he's saying who, he, who it's from, but then also who it's to. We have this fellowship together. He's remembering these people with joy. He prays for them with joy. Why? Because of the fellowship that they have in Jesus. Well, what is that fellowship? What does that mean to have fellowship? Well, in verse 5, we see this. As he says, I make him request of you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The word there for fellowship is koinonia. It means to have in common, to be in communion with because of something in common with. Now, some of the newer translations may have partnership here in that word instead of fellowship. I think fellowship's a better word because it conveys exactly what's being stated. That they have this communion together, be having something in common. And, the, and, and what is in common? It's the gospel. We have fellowship together because of the gospel. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're in fellowship together. So this Christian fellowship is deeper than just being together or just eating together. But it's having something in common. This fellowship is that together as believers, we possess eternal life through Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. That our hearts together have been changed by Jesus. I have that. You have that. We have that. It's a beautiful fellowship. And that fellowship together brings about joy in the believers. Amen? That joy with each other. The joy to be together. 1 John 1, 2 through 4 says, this, The life was manifested, and we have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, watch this, that you also may have fellowship with us. There's that word again. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
And so we have joy through Jesus Christ, having the fellowship, which is the relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. But as we have that relationship with him, then because we're believers, I have that faith in him, you have that faith in him, then we have this fellowship together. And it causes us to have joy in Jesus and joy together. Amen? There's this fellowship when we are together. So in this letter, Paul thinks about the people who are fellow believers in Jesus here at the very beginning of the letter, and it causes him to remember with joy and to be thankful for them. Now, beloved, let me just ask you a question. Who are those people in your life? Who are those people that when you think about, that you think about them, it brings a smile to your face because there's joy in your heart that you know that these are fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's each other in this room here today. Maybe it's those folks that you're in small group with, in, in Sunday school class with, whatever, whatever it may be. Maybe it's folks that you've been on trips with that are believers in Jesus Christ. We've gone on mission trips together. Maybe it's folks at a former church where it used to be. I couldn't help but to think about folks in my home church when I was growing up who were such an encouragement to me, who were fellow believers, those church, people in churches where I pastored, and thinking about people specifically who, when I think of them, they bring joy to my heart because I know that they are fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Some who have gone on to be with the Lord that I know beyond a shout out that I'm going to see them again one day. That brings about a joy in our hearts, beloved, as fellow believers in Jesus Christ because we have something in common, Jesus Christ. He is our common hope, our common assurance. I couldn't, maybe it's somebody who's in a foreign mission field. I think about Jean-Marc and Mira up in, uh, in the Quebec. You know, how can you not think of them and not bring joy to your life? Amen? What a pleasant time we had with them. What a wonderful time we had with them as they showed the gospel to many people while we're there. Maybe it's someone that God brings about to you in, in your pathway by divine circumstance. I couldn't help but to think about uh, while we were in Quebec on uh, the, the week that we were there, uh, we had some, some time where we were able to go uh, to just relax for just a little bit, so I chose to go to a coffee shop. Imagine that. <laughs> and there was a coffee shop about 10 minutes away from Sherbrooke, away from uh, Jean-Marc's church, a little place in the called Lennoxville, a little coffee shop there. And Angie and the girls and I went in, got our coffee, went back to the back of the, of the uh, restaurant there, the coffee shop. And while we were there, there were three ladies who were sitting there. And uh, one of the ladies had on a sweatshirt that said Charleston, South Carolina. I said, hmm, uh, we're in foreign country, and there's some folks there who forgot the states, you know, plastered all over them. And uh, saw on their uh, table that they had a, a book by David Platt. I said, okay, this is pretty safe. I think I can talk to these people. So I said, are you folks from the States? And they said, why, yes, we are. Are you guys from the States? I said, well, yes, we are. They said, well, I said, what are you guys doing up here? And they said, well, actually, we're here on mission. I said, you are? We are too. <laughs> so what are you doing? They said, well, they were there learning about the culture and learning how to reach across that culture to reach people for Jesus Christ. They were there helping some folks. They worked with the campus at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, and so they're kind of helping some students, uh, but all the while learning about how to connect with churches and connect with people in that particular context. And I said, well, you have places that you have. He said, we're sort of just kind of freelancing, going around. I said, hey, you need to contact Jean-Marc and uh, be with us. And so they came, and they did some soccer with us. They came to worship with us. They did several things with us while we were there. And let me tell you what, and they were a blessing. I'd never met these folks before, but as I think about them now, they bring me great joy because these are fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
You meet people like that, which you may may have never met before, but you meet them for the first time, you find out they're believers in Jesus, and instantly there's a common bond, amen? And it brings about joy in your heart and your life that you have through Jesus Christ. Who are those people in your life? Or better yet, another question is, are you one of those people to others? Are you an ah or an oh? You don't know what I'm talking about? Are you an ah or an oh? Well, let me, let me just clarify this for you. When people see you, when, or you know, that, you know that there are people, okay? You know that there are people that when you see them, you say, ah! And then maybe there are other people you say, oh. Let me go pray just a little while longer. Beloved, are you an ah or an oh? I pray that all of us are ahs, Amen. We need to be ours. We need to be ours. And that fellowship that we have with each other, Paul says here, from the first day until now. The fe- See, when you have a bond with people because of Jesus, it lasts forever. Amen? It brings joy. Thirdly, not only do we see here the relationship that brings joy because of Jesus, we see the fellowship with fellow believers. Then thirdly, we see discipleship. And that is a seeking to be like Jesus. Paul says in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here is another source of joy that we have as believers. And that is what Paul says here to the church of Philippi. He looks at the church of Philippi and he says, look, I know that God is at work in your life. I can see what God is doing. I hear what God is doing. And I know what God is at work in your life. Beloved, that brings about joy in our lives when we can look at other people and see God is at work in your life. Amen. When we see that in the lives of other people, we're confident knowing that God's working in the lives of other people. We see that that brings us to have joy. Paul was saying, look, I know that God's at work. He's transforming the lives of God's people. And that was bringing him some joy, a joy that that stemmed from Jesus Christ and his walk with Jesus. He knew that God would fully complete his work of salvation in them. He had seen them, some of them, come to know Christ as Savior. So he knew that they had been saved from the penalty of sin by Jesus. He knew that they were being saved in the process of being transformed to be more and more like Jesus. And then ultimately, he knew that they would be saved from this world and sin one day when they would see Jesus. He knew that God was at work in their lives. And so he had great joy being confident of what God would do and was doing and would ultimately do in their lives to complete them in their salvation. Because here's the thing we need to understand. God always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts in us, and he finishes what he starts in others who are believers as well. You know, as I was thinking about this, leaving something undone, if you were to go into an artist studio... You might find some unfinished work there, some piece of pottery, or maybe it's a canvas with just some paint on it, and, and the artist has, has left it, uh, and we're not sure why, why it's that way. Maybe they lost interest in that piece or that painting. Maybe they forgot what they were doing, and we ask our questions, you know, I wonder what, the, what, was, what that was going to be. But, beloved, here's the thing we need to know, is that God never loses interest in us. Amen. He never loses interest in us. He never forgets what he's doing in us and through us. We never have to wonder what he's up to, but even though 
uh, he doesn't always make it very plain for us, but we know this, is that what he starts, he will complete. He's making us to be more and more like him. And when we grasp that, and that helps us to have joy, not only in our own lives, but when we see it in other people as well. Let me explain. When we see God doing things in other people, it causes us to have joy. When we hear of souls that are being saved, doesn't it cause us to rejoice? When we see great things that God is doing, do we not have joy because we see that God is at work in the lives of people? When there is repentance and a turning or a returning to the Lord, our hearts, our hearts leap with gladness when we see that in other people. Well, even if it's in another church, we are grateful for what God is doing in the lives of people. And then in our own lives, when, when God shows us his will, when he shows us that he's at work in our life, when he reminds us of a truth, when we open up the word of God, when he, we sense his presence and we're drawn closer to him, beloved, there is a joy that we have knowing that God's working in our lives. Amen? It's because of Jesus. And so this relationship, the fellowship, the discipleship, but then also we see, fourthly, the partnership. And the partnership is all for Jesus. The, the, the partners together are all working for Jesus. And we see that in verse 7. Paul says this as he's writing to the church here at Philippi. He says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. So Paul says, look, this church was a source of joy to Paul because they were partners or they were partakers with him in the gospel. They were linking arms with him. Even though he was miles and miles away in Rome, they were still partnering with him in the gospel because of Jesus. All for Jesus. This, this church was selflessly and sacrificially standing by him to give him encouragement. They would help alleviate his suffering and to meet his needs in every way that they possibly could, praying for him and giving financially. And they were spiritual partners in the fullest sense of the gospel for, for, for Jesus with the Apostle Paul. He says that while he is even in chains and as he preached the gospel, defending it and pointing people to Jesus, they were partners with him in the good times and in the bad times, in the times of great challenge and the times of great accomplishment. They were still partners in the gospel, and this brought him great joy. Don't we know that to be the case? People who will stand beside us who are fellow believers in Jesus Christ in the good times and in the bad. Who will walk with us and help us to point people to Jesus together. Whether it's on a mission trip or going out here to Walmart somewhere. As we tell people about Jesus. We are partners together. In the good times and the bad. It brings joy to us. To have these partners with us. This church was a joy to him. They prayed for him. They gave financially. They worked with him. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They didn't just sit back and applaud, but they were involved in the gospel with him. All for Jesus. They were all in it together for Jesus. Beloved, we're all in this together. Amen? As brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, no matter what our background, no matter our styles, no matter what we like, no matter what we dislike, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're all in this together and we're partners together for the gospel's sake. Because we have a news that is not just any news, it's the good news of the gospel. Telling people about Jesus. Because it's a world that needs to hear. That there is hope, that there is assurance, that there is forgiveness, that there is a creator God who loves you and made a way for you to be right with him.
to walk with him, to be in a relationship with him. His name is Jesus. Paul says in verse 8, you're my partners. Then he says in verse 8, for God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look, you're my partners and man, I love you guys. And I don't just love you. I mean, I really love you. I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's a whole lot of love, isn't it? That's the love of Jesus. Yes, there were some struggles in the church at Philippi. No, they were not perfect, but they were partners with him. They were fellow believers. Chances are not everybody agreed with Paul on everything there, but they were partners in the gospel. And he's saying, look, I love you unconditionally with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's the love of Christ, to love unconditionally. And they loved him the same way. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. You see, Christian love is the tie that binds us together. That comes from the relationship with Jesus, by the way. One person wrote this week, I think it was Warren Rearsby. He said this, thinking about this Christian love. Y'all going to like this. Y'all ready for this? Christian love is the spiritual lubrication that keeps the machinery of life running smoothly. Isn't that true? Christian love is the spiritual lubrication that keeps the machinery of life running smoothly. As we love each other, that helps us to keep things moving in the direction, in a smooth direction. And this kind of love, loving with that Christ-like love, as we're all partners in the ministry, beloved, it brings joy. And it only comes when you know Jesus as Savior. Four things to do real quick. Number one, rejoice in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Rejoice in your relationship with Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and the relationship with with him, we are to rejoice and have this joy because of who he is and what he's done. He's made the way. He's made us right with our creator, and we can rejoice. We have joy. If you don't know him, if you don't have this joy because you don't know this Jesus, you can as you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus in humble repentance, embracing, believing with all of your heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave. It's a simple step of faith. Trust in him to save you. Rejoice in your relationship with him. Secondly, bind yourself together with brothers and sisters. Have this fellowship that we're talking about here that brings about this joy. Bind yourself together with brothers and sisters. That's great that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here in worship. But, beloved, listen, if there's another way that you need to bind yourself together with the brothers and sisters. You need to be on a, a name-to-name basis. You need to be in a Sunday school class or a community group, working in these small groups to get to know each other and to fellowship together, to walk together, to walk this race together and to find joy as you have this common bond of Jesus together. Amen? So bind yourself together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then be glad as there's growth in your life and in others. Help each other, encourage each other along. And then as you see it happening, whether it's here or someone else, rejoice at what God is doing. We'd be glad, we're to be glad that there's growing in discipleship. And then praise Him for the partnerships for His glory. We praise Him that we have the ability to partner together, to link arms together in this church, in this convention, in this 
uh, state convention and this, North, this uh, Southern Baptist convention, but also with partnerships with our missionaries who are on the foreign field to partner together. We praise God for these partnerships that we're working with these people for the glory of God. There's no more points. There's no more blanks to fill out, but I got just one more real quick thing. All right, can you handle it just for a second more? Really, all right, just a second more. As we've talked about this gospel joy, there are these thieves that cause us to be robbed of our joy. There's a lot of thieves out there that want to rob us of our joy as believers. And you can, can just kind of really bring it all down to two things. Y'all ready to hear what those two things are? Okay. Yes? yes. Here are the two things. Number one, people. People will rob you of your joy. Come on now. I mean, that's the truth, isn't it? Sometimes people can just suck the joy right out of your life. Or they can try to anyway, right? Have you ever heard the old saying, people are people? I'm just telling you, folks, people are people. No matter where you go, people are people. Amen? The thing you need to understand is that there's just going to be those people who are that way. But you make sure you're not one of those people. Amen? People will rob you of your joy. Secondly, the other thing is problems. We all got problems. Everybody got problems. All God's children got problems. Amen? We got problems. Whether it's your air conditioner went out at home or in your vehicle on the way up to Quebec. You all, we all got problems. It's going to happen. But here's the thing we need to understand. Yes, the thieves are going to try to rob us of our joy. But when we intentionally focus on Jesus, trusting him, knowing him, confident in him, confident in what he is doing, no matter what it is that we are facing in this life, beloved, there is joy through Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that as we come to this moment of invitation that you would stir our hearts to be committed to you, to be confident in you, to trust you no matter what it is that we're facing, and that we would turn our attention. Maybe, Lord, we've lost our focus, and we come again and be focused on you. Lord, that you have taken this word of God, you've taken your word in this letter to the Philippians, and reminded us about the joy that we can have because of Jesus. You've, you've caused our spectacles, our eyeglasses to be fixed just a little bit better so that we can see just a little bit more clearer that joy comes through Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir us and help us to surrender all things. You Maybe we've lost sight. Maybe we've moved in a different direction. But may we come back to this place of focusing on you and having confidence in you. So, Lord, I pray for those who need, may need to recommit their hearts and lives to surrender something or some things to you, someone to you. But also, Father, we pray that if there are those here that don't know you, that they would come to know this joy that's found only through Jesus as we come to this invitation. Lord, that people would come and take one of these pastors by the hand and just say, look, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Oh, I want to surrender my issues to the Lord. I want to have this joy. I want to return to the right focus. Or maybe there's some other prayer concerns we may have that they may just need to come and pray silently. Lord, whatever you're doing, may we walk away from here with a gospel-centered joy in our hearts, with Jesus on our lips as we proclaim to the world that the reason why we're so joyful is because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship, 
We're brothers and sisters in Christ who fellowships together. We rejoice when we grow and we partner together for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing.